Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Believe it or not, there's always some debate as to what constitutes a genocide. Yeah, and words are powerful. I know it's been debated here in Canada. Right. This matter was discussed by the BBC in 2022 in the article, How Do You Define Genocide? Some believe that the only genocide was a Holocaust, but there is the mass murder of the Armenians between 1915 to 1920 by the Ottoman Turks to consider, as well as the 1994 killing of the 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus in Rwanda, or the massacre at Srebrenica in 1995. Well, I've always understood all of those events to be genocides. Right. Or what about the Soviet-created famine between 1932 and 33 in Ukraine? Mm -hmm. Or the 1975 East Timor Indonesian invasion? Mm -hmm. And then there's a mass murder in Cambodia at the hands of the Khmer Rouge in the 1970s. Yeah, no shortage of them, sadly, right? (laughs) You know, you might not be aware, but if a group is targeted for political or social status, then they don't fall within the definition of genocide as defined by the UN. Hmm. So this makes it all a bit more complicated. For example, some state that the people who were victimized in Cambodia were targeted for political and social status reasons. I'm not sure why the reason makes any difference at all. I know. The Cambodian genocide is probably one of the earliest examples of these atrocities occurring in our lifetimes. Right, Walker? Yeah, I agree. Because it took place between 1975 and 1979. The Cambodian people were persecuted and killed systematically at the hands of the communist Khmer Rouge led by Pol Pot. And how many Cambodian people lost their lives? Over 2 million Cambodian people were murdered. Ultimately, that was a quarter of the country's population obliterated. Gone. Yeah. And what occurred in the lead up to that genocide in that case? Well, when the Khmer Rouge took power, their mandate was to remove social classes and remove any Western influence that existed in the country. So everything, and I mean absolutely everything, Schools, universities, hospitals, they were all shut down. Minorities like the Chinese, Cham Muslims, and intellectuals were all targeted. Prisoners were taken to the fields to work, and there they were killed. And from what I read, often they were killed with pickaxes so that the militia could save their bullets. These people were buried in mass graves. You might have heard of this genocide with reference to the killing fields. Mm -hmm. So this refers to the number of sites that were used for such mass executions and burials of people killed by Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge regime during this time. It's hard to fathom how this can happen, but it does. It does. I mean, they can be triggered by the smallest things. And people could be shot for the smallest things. Like? Crying, laughing. Gosh. Having books. Money. Things that are human. That we all take... For granted, we take just... it for granted. Wearing glasses, yeah. Walker, mm. you're wearing glasses right now. They reached for any excuse. Sickening. Yeah. A genocide that reached the public's awareness more recently was the Rwandan genocide yes. in 1994. This took place between April 7th and July 15th. Hutu militias went on a terrifying killing spree targeting the Tutsis as well as moderate Hutu people. This was highlighted in the exceptional but quite disturbing film Hotel Rwanda. 
So it's my understanding that the seeds which grew into the Rwandan genocide were sown during colonization. Yeah, you've got that right. The tension between the Hutu and the Tutsis developed quite early on. Right. The Belgians had actually categorized the Rwandan people into two distinct groups, the Hutu and the Tutsis. And they even gave them identity cards so you knew who was who. Mm-hmm. The Tutsi minority were often given greater opportunities more access to education, and therefore they had better jobs. And so there was this sense that they were treated differently Mm -hmm. and somehow considered to be superior to the Hutu. Disparity and inequality can lead to nothing good. Absolutely. This resulted in tension between the two groups. This tension reached a tipping point. April 6, 1994, a plane carrying the Rwandan president, Juvenal Habyarimana, and Cyprian Nataria Miri of Burundi, both of whom who were Hutus, was shot down. Extremist Hutus blamed the Rwandan Patriotic Front, a group of exiled Tutsis, and they went on the attack. The Rwandan Patriotic Front believed that the Hutus were just using that event as an excuse to launch the genocide of the Tutsi people. So how many people were murdered in Rwanda? Well, in just 100 days, Walker, roughly 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus were murdered by Hutu extremists. 10,000 a day. Wow. Ultimately, 75% of Tutsis were murdered, which was one-tenth of the entire population. They were hunted in their homes, and they were cut down in the streets. Horrific. Yeah. Apparently, most of the people who were killed were murdered at the hands of people that they knew, even friends and people that they were related to. Right. Husbands and wives, I even heard. Yep. Neighbors turned on neighbors as well. Propaganda reinforced the idea that it was the Hutu duty to eliminate the Tutsis. Uh. This message played constantly on the radio, even directing murdering mobs to the hiding places of Tutsi people. Some firsthand accounts report that Hutus were literally walking down the streets with machetes, killing every Tutsi person they could find. And beyond the murder, according to Reuters, 250,000 women and girls were raped And AIDS patients were used to create rape squads to infect Tutsi women. The result was thousands of victims of rape and children born from rape with HIV AIDS. Rape is often a key feature of genocide. It's just the ultimate subjugation. Speechless. Yeah. More recently, there was the genocide of the Rohingya in Myanmar. In 2017, the Myanmar military targeted the Rohingya Muslims, an ethnic minority in the northern Rakhine state. The Rohingya were again raped, killed. And as they fled the attack, the military burned their homes and villages behind them. For centuries, the Rohingya people have lived mainly in the Buddhist Myanmar, once known as Burma. They've been subject to violence for decades, leading up to this flashpoint in 2017. The Rohingya have been denied citizenship and are considered now the world's largest stateless population. One survivor who escaped with his mother on his back and who was still living in a refugee camp five years later, reported, Myanmar authorities brutalized us. They burned down our houses, raped our mothers and sisters, burned our children. We took shelter in Bangladesh to escape that brutality. Yeah, I saw photos of that gentleman with the, his mother on his back. Oh it God. will stay with me. Um, now, a huge number of people fled to Bangladesh, right? Yeah. According to the USA for United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, more than 700,000 Rohingya wow. fled the country. Half of them, of course, were children. Yeah. 
a large proportion of those headed to Bangladesh. Others fled to Thailand, India, Indonesia, and Nepal. According to the UNHCR, today there are now 980,000 refugees in neighboring countries, and the World Health Organization estimated that in 2022, there were 925,000 Rohingya living in camps in Bangladesh's Cox's Bazar region. And these refugee camps, Walker, they're considered to be the largest in the world, and they are not great places. No, to I live. would encourage people to look online at the photos. Yeah. Of the conditions. To see the reality of the conditions of these camps. In. Yeah. As you can imagine, they're abysmal. They live tightly together in little shacks, which do not protect them adequately during the monsoon season. Landslides are a real risk. Yeah. Water and sanitation are a problem. So they're hotbeds of diseases like hepatitis, mm -hmm. malaria. So these people, they escape persecution, murder, rape, and then they're left languishing in these camps for years upon years. Mm -hmm. Hungry, stateless, sick. Can't we do better than this? It's estimated that 1.1 million people are displaced within Myanmar itself, too. Denied citizenship, freedom of movement, without access to food, health care, or education. We often don't think of those displaced after a genocide, do mm -hmm. we? No. There's nothing to go back to, and of course, they are now burdened with exceptional trauma as well. Yeah. It brings to mind the cultural genocide committed against the Indigenous people on our own soil. Yeah. Even Canadians struggle with the term genocide as it applies to the settlers' treatment of First Nations people. They do. But I think it's pretty clear. Over a period of 100 years, 150,000 Indigenous children, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, were taken from their families and placed in 139 state-sponsored residential schools and some additional unofficial schools right. across the country. These children were forcibly taken, placed in foreign environments, often at a very far distance from their families and communities. They were torn apart from the people that they loved, from the language that they knew, from their culture, with the express purpose of destroying the same culture and language. The Canadian government sponsored the schools, but they were run by religious institutions. The children that attended the schools were forbidden from speaking their own language, and they were immersed in the doctrine of the church. Mm -hmm. And, of course, these vulnerable children were victims of verbal, yeah. physical, and sexual abuse. They died of disease and neglect. Children died trying to escape, trying to run away back home to their families, or by committing suicide. Yeah. And I'm sure some died of broken hearts. Yeah. I remember seeing a photo of Indigenous families camped just on the periphery of one of these residential schools. I think it was in Manitoba. Yeah, I've seen that as well. And they just wanted to be close to their children. Mm -hmm. They had no agency, no power to change the situation in the face of this oppressive state. It's one of the most sad, mm -hmm. sad things I've ever seen. And shockingly, the last of these schools was officially closed in the late 1990s. Yeah, most of them, I think, closed in the 70s, but I think yeah. that was the last official closure. Yeah, in the 90s. I know. It's sickening. And in 2008, then-Prime Minister Stephen Harper made an official apology to the surviving students who experienced life in the residential schools and also to their families. Finally, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came to the decision in 2015 that cultural genocide of the Indigenous people in Canada occurred as a result of the residential school system. It shocks me, though, 
that it took so long for our government to publicly recognize this hideous chapter in our collective history. I know. The Canadian Museum of Human Rights states it very clearly. Our country's policy of outlawing language, cultural practices, and political traditions and removing children by force from their families in an attempt to assimilate Indigenous people is an example of genocide. It was a conscious effort to erase a distinct group of people by destroying the essential foundations of their way of life. There's no uncertainty in that statement, is there? Right. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. You have been listening to an excerpt of a larger episode from Season 1. For the full episode, you can visit our website or browse our back catalogue. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us to grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.homeandabroadpodcast.com. We do have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel, not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending, of course, on where you buy your coffee.